The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Uh, you can imagine, okay, here's the brothers. They're standing before the most powerful ruler in the world at that time, second only to Pharaoh. Uh, they're pretty sure that they're going to spend the rest of their lives as prisoners, as slaves in Egypt, if not death. Uh, they know they're in hot water. They can't go home to their father because they made promises. And all of a sudden, this guy who you think is the ruler of Egypt says to you, I'm your long-lost brother. Well, they were dumbfounded, shocked, uh, literally speechless. They stood there with their mouths wide open, jaws dropped to the floor, and they have nothing to say. You know, and you can just imagine the things that are going through their mind. Uh, are we in less trouble now than we were before, or more trouble? You know, we're kind of weighing this out. It's like I think we just went from bad to way worse, right? Because you know, the one guy who could help us, we found out, is now the brother we betrayed, right? Um, and in this uh, scene, as Joseph kind of sees their, their shock, their terror, the word that's used there really is their, it says they were, this says they're stunned. The word really is terrified. Okay? They're struck with terror. Right? They really don't know what they've got themselves into. And Joseph is, is somewhat aware of it. He maybe reads their faces. Uh, and you know, Joseph has every right to be angry at these guys. Joseph has every right to scold them. Joseph has every right to get his digs in. But notice what he says. He says, please, well, first of all, notice what he does. He breaks down and cries, okay? So, you know, I don't know if they're stunned more by what Joseph said or by the fact that the ruler of all Egypt is breaking down and crying like a baby. You know, just weeping, sobbing. It says the, the, the cries are so loud that all the palace hears it, even though he's chased them all out, right? Um, and notice what Joseph, Joseph said. He says, please come closer. So they come closer. He says, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. That brother, because we're confused. Uh, but don't be upset. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead, ahead of you to preserve life. Okay, this famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years, and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive, to preserve many survivors, literally to preserve a remnant. Wow. Uh, Joseph responds to his brothers with incredible grace. This incredible grace. Um, He's gracious, first of all, in that he sends out all the officials of, of Egypt. Uh, some people think that he may have done this to conceal. He didn't want to expose his emotional state to them. I don't think that's the case because he's crying so loud everybody in the whole palace knows. I don't think he's hiding his emotions. I don't think that's why he kicked them out. I think he kicked them out to protect his brothers. Right? He's about to disclose them who he is, and by that he must implicate them for their sin. But he does it in a way that does not accuse them before the Egyptians, right? Very smart on Joseph's part, okay? He's thinking this through. He doesn't want uh, Pharaoh to get the wrong idea about his brothers and instead of showing kindness, put them in jail, right? So he kicks everybody out and he, he secretly uh, reveals to him 
himself. And he shows just incredible grace and kindness, right? He says, look, don't be angry. Don't be upset because God was in this. You sent me out of your wickedness, but in the end, it wasn't you. God was the one who sent me here. In fact, repeatedly, he uses that phrase. God has sent me. God sent me ahead of you. Uh, God, uh, verse 8, God sent me here. Uh, God has made me uh, father to Pharaoh. Right? Well, this, uh, this story, and, and again, Genesis, we're starting off the, the first book of the Bible. And in this story, God reveals some incredible truth about himself. Right? And from the very beginning, as we look in the book of Genesis, God discloses himself as a sovereign God, a God who is mighty and powerful. And uh, as the chapter unfolds, uh, first main point uh, of the story, and really uh, it could be a summary of the book of Genesis, is God's sovereign saving plan. Okay, God's sovereign plan is to save his people. And Joseph puts it in these simple terms. He said, God sent me ahead of you to keep you alive. Okay? This was all about God's mission to save his people and to keep his promise going. All right? And uh, just briefly, let me cap the story uh, the, the chapter really unfolds what that looks like. Okay, God's purposes are always good, are always redemptive, redemptive, and always saving. Okay, always. And in Genesis, uh, that's how God's operated. Even in judgment, there is a gracious saving mechanism in it. We don't have time to go into all that, but throughout the book, God's executing His promise for Abraham and his descendants. And in, in the Joseph story, uh, you kind of wonder what's going on. You wonder why he's being so mean to his brothers. You wonder why there's a famine. But it all comes together in this one simple truth. God is about saving his people. And God shows his faithfulness to them in his good and saving purposes. And throughout the story, he does it in several ways. First, uh, it becomes clear that this was all part of God's plan from the beginning. So 22 years ago, when Joseph got sold into slavery... It was very much part of God's plan. And as Joseph surveys all that's happened in his life and surveys with, with godly wisdom what's going on, he can say, honestly, God's, this was God's purpose. God sent me ahead of you because he knew what he was going to do to send the famine. And he sent me ahead to prepare the way to save life, to save our family, okay, and to save many other lives besides. So he says, first of all, this has been God's plan from the beginning. Uh, to send me here. And as part of that plan, he goes, you know, he goes beyond that. He says, now hurry back to my father. Tell him this is what your son Joseph said. God has made me master over the land, so come down to me immediately, and you can live in the land of Goshen. And he spells out uh, the, the, the second phase of this plan. So the first phase, get Joseph to Egypt, make him ruler over the whole land. Second phase, get the family there. Okay, now this is going to be perhaps harder than the first 22 years. Because Jacob has proved himself to be kind of a stubborn mule. Right? And uh, rising to power over Egypt was easy. Getting his father to move from Canaan, the land of promise, to Egypt may be more difficult. So Joseph lays out his plan. He says, you know, you've got uh, to tell him you've, saw, you've seen me. You've got to be eyewitnesses to what God's doing here. So he says, look, um, you can see for yourselves that it's me. And so can my brother Benjamin. Because he's not going to believe you. Because you're... You've all compromised yourself, but they'll believe Benjamin. Right? So tell my father the honor position I have here in Egypt and describe for him everything you've seen. 
Uh, then bring him here quickly. So the plan is not that God's going to deliver them by setting up a, you know, a grain embargo, or not a grain embargo, a grain supply line to Canaan. Instead, he says, we're going to bring the whole family here as part of God's plan. Uh, on top of that, as God's plan unfolds, it says news reached Pharaoh. And what does Pharaoh do? Pharaoh stamps his seal of approval on the plan. He says, this is a great idea. He says, and, and, and the, the language is quite strong. He says, command your father to do this, to come down here. And he sends him with uh, donkeys and wagons and carts, many riches, many resources to bring the whole family to Egypt. Uh, so they do, they do that. And uh, for one last uh, piece of convincing evidence, verse 21 to 23, Joseph gives them gifts. Right. So when he goes back, you know, he's thinking this through. Father's going to wonder what's all going on. They're going to tell him this story. He's not going to believe them because they don't doesn't trust his sons. Uh, he gives them gifts, new clothes, uh, the best of the land of Egypt, proven evidence that God is in this. Uh, so they go. He says, don't argue on the way. Um, don't do anything stupid. You know, just go, get dad, bring him back. Uh, they arrive. They stand before Jacob and they say, Joseph is still alive. And he's governor over the land of Egypt, right? And Jacob responds just like they did. Jaw drops to the floor, stunned, right? Joseph's alive. He's the ruler of the land of Egypt. You know, it's like, what kind of cruel trick are they playing on me now? My, my cruel sons, right? They said, no, no, Dad, it's real. Look, look at all the stuff we've got. We've seen him with our eyes, right? And finally, the, the story ends with Jacob being convinced. And he says, it must be true. My son Joseph is alive. I must go see him before I die, right? And so he jumps in the wagon. I can see this old guy, you know, 100 plus years old, jumps in the wagon. He's got his cane. Hit the, let's go. Let's not waste time. What are you guys standing around for? Let's go. I want to see my son Joseph, right? Great picture of resurrection. The son that he thought was dead, now alive. Uh, the hope renewed. A guy that was, you know, hobbling around, looking his age, all of a sudden looks like a teenager with excitement and enthusiasm. And all over it, it has this, at many levels, it has God's good saving purpose stamped all over it. The grace of Joseph, the kindness of Pharaoh, uh, the, uh, the hope of Jacob receiving back his new son, um, and, and his joy at, at celebrating this good news, right? And throughout Scripture, uh, God's purpose is unchanged, right? What's God's purpose for your life, for my life? Well, it's to save us. It's to redeem us. It's to, you know, what God, what God wants for you and I more than anything else, He wants us to look like Jacob in verse 28. He wants us to be filled with joy, right? He wants us to experience salvation uh, and experience incredibly deep joy. Is anybody here joyful and happy this morning? If you're joyful and happy, like smile or something. Okay, a few of you. There's ten of you. Okay, that's good. You know, when we worship God, I love throughout the Psalms, He, he says He doesn't see. He, he says, "Sing songs of joy, shout joyfully to God." Right? God, God wants you above all else to be joyful, and His good saving purposes are to that end. I love in John 15. And I say this verse all the time because I just I think it's so powerful. Jesus said, I told you all these things so that your joy may be okay. 
Right? So your joy, you know, at least once a year you'll be happy. Right? No. So, so that your joy would be full, abundant, happy, joyful. Right? So if you're not joyful, okay, you're missing God's purpose. Okay? If, you're, if you're wondering about God's will, God's will has something to do with you being happy. Right? Okay? Not happy in the world, not happy in the things of the world, but ultimately joyful in His good purposes. And that's the story, that's the, the story of Joseph. And it's, it's a great story. And I'm, a, I'm not the greatest storyteller. I'm not very dramatic. So sadly, I kind of kill the story. But let you read it for yourself and let God put His joy in you as you think through it. Uh, God's, God's sovereign plan is to save you and bring you joy. And that's His his highest goal and purpose. And in that, in that, he's glorified. Okay? And here's, here's a secret. God's glory and your joy are somehow connected. Okay? If God saves you, if God sent his son to die for you, if he pays for all your sins, and you are washed and clean and white, you are pure as snow, you are saved, but you are miserable, it makes God look bad. Okay? Okay, imagine getting married. Here's the, here's the picture. Imagine getting married, and you're, you're the groom, and your wife gets herself all beautiful and gets this beautiful dress on and, and beautiful hairdo, and she comes down the aisle, and she's just radiant beauty in itself, right? And, uh, you know, she comes up, and the, the, the pastor says to her, do you take this man to be your, your husband, Right? And you're so excited, and you're just so happy, and it's going to be your glory. This is this woman's going to be your glory. She's going to actually make you look respectable. Right? And you say, and she says to you, "Well, you know, I guess, yeah." Okay. Just kind of kills it, right? But if she's joyful, if she lights up and her, she beams with joy and says, "Yes, yes, I love this man," right? Okay, same thing with us. Our joy and God's glory are deeply connected. He's got a personal interest in it. Right? Um, so so God's, we see God's good, sovereign purpose. Um, but behind that, or under, underlying that, uh, is another truth that's, uh, that's also significant throughout Scripture. And that, that, that question really is... Uh, what does it mean for God to be sovereign? Because really what's all behind this is that God only has a good purpose, but that God is able to carry out that purpose. And he's able to carry it out because he is sovereign. Sovereign. But what do we mean when we, when we use the word sovereign? Well, it can mean a lot of things. It can mean uh, a royal, um, holding royal power or royal authority. It can mean somebody who is... is because of that position, is very powerful and mighty. But when we, when we use the word of God, when we use the word of God or in, in, in connection with God, what does it mean? Well, this passage and this story really unfolds some important truths about what God's sovereignty is and is not. And I, I, I move forward with great fear and trepidation for a couple of reasons. One, I don't want to ever misrepresent the character and nature of God. Worst thing I could ever imagine doing is saying something that misrepresents who God is. So I move forward very tentatively, because I don't want to be for all of these witnesses and God Himself misrepresent who He is. Right? 
I want to speak the truth about who He is. But I, I also do want to speak the truth about who He is. Um, and it, you know, it's, it's, it's not accidental that this is the culminating story of Genesis. It is, it's a significant principle and, and uh, picture of who God is and how we understand Him. So let's look briefly, well, you know, briefly, at, at, at God's sovereignty. How did God pull this off, in other words? How did God carry out and execute His saving purposes in Joseph and Abraham's life? Um, Let me back up just a little bit. We're going we're gonna to focus mostly on verses 3 through 8. All right? The sovereign hand of God. And God is sovereign over all things. Okay? First, first thing, when we speak of the sovereignty of God, it means God is powerful over everything. All right? uh, and first of all, He's sovereign and powerful over, uh, over the actions of, of people. Um, He's, well, first of all, he's sovereign over his good purpose and plan. Uh, and we talked about that. He, he is able to execute and carry out his good purpose and plan. And he's sovereign over that. Okay, he never scratches his head or puzzles about how he's going to carry out and exercise his will. He's sovereign over his good purpose. Secondly, I got these in the wrong order. He is sovereign over, he's sovereign over free people. Now, here's the catch. We looked a few uh, chapters back. When God was sending the the famine, right? We talked about God being sovereign over creation. That God somehow, and I don't know, I, I wouldn't begin to explain this, but somehow God's sovereign over all of his universe. Uh, nothing happens in all the universe without God's knowledge and decree. His direct word, right? So... Uh, whatever you whatever you need to do with that theologically for earthquakes and you know tsunamis and uh, floods when a whole country gets you know underwater for two months like here uh, God somehow is responsible for that okay and uh, I think Genesis affirms that he created the world he is its he is its um, landlord right he is its uh, master and he somehow can you know, holds the control knobs, right? So if you don't like the weather, it's God's fault, right? Okay? It's not global warming. Okay, God's bigger than global warming, right? And he's got the, 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 the thermostat of the sun in his hand, and if it's getting hot, it's because he turned the heat up, right? We may have contributed somehow, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but God's ultimately sovereign over that. So we kind of know that, and that's easy. Honestly, that's easy because... It's, it's chemistry and physics. And if God can't, God can't do chemistry, we're all in trouble. Right? We're kind of living proof that he can do chemistry, by the way. Um, he's bigger than science, so he's sovereign over things. But here's the thing. You know, Genesis chapter 2, he creates man and, uh, Adam and Eve. He creates them in his image. And he puts them in the garden. And he gives them choices. Right? He creates us as free agents in the world with a free will. He creates us as beings who can choose the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or not. Who can choose to stay in the garden or not. Who can choose to obey God or not. And he, you know, Garden of Eden, he doesn't put fences around the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He doesn't put, uh, he doesn't put up signs, right? <laughs> doesn't put up an electric fence. Uh, what was he thinking, right? 
He gives them free access to completely make their own free choice. Okay, so then the question, and of course we know they chose badly. They chose against God. Okay, these free agents in the world that God created did not cooperate with God. They took their own path. So here's the question. Is God sovereign over free agents in the world? Is he sovereign over free people? Okay, is God sovereign over you and I? Well, it's a question that theologians have wrestled with for a long time and uh, have all kinds of answers and thoughts. And I have my own, and you can take them or leave them, okay? But I, I hope that my thoughts are based out of what Joseph says here in this chapter. Um, so is God sovereign over people? Was God sovereign over Joseph? Was God sovereign over Joseph's brothers? Right? Well, Joseph seems to think so. Because he says this, he says, you know, I know that you sold me into slavery in Egypt, okay? I know that you are wicked brothers who hated me, all right? But don't worry about it because God did this, okay? God did this. God in his sovereign hand sent me here, all right? I am here not by your doing, but I'm ultimately here because of God's sovereign doing, so Joseph claims that God is sovereign, that God is sovereign over the affairs of free men. Right? But what does that look like? Well, in, in general, you could boil it down into three main options, the way God's sovereignty works over people. Option number one is that God controls men according to his purposes. Uh, so God, God controls men according to his purposes. So in other words, God is sovereign. And, and for order, in order for God to be sovereign, he must, he must be able to control you, and you're actually not free. Okay? It's all just kind of a scam. Uh, and there's this thinking that God's sovereignty and free will are incompatible. That to the degree people have freedom, God becomes no longer sovereign. Right? Uh, and, and that's kind of an extreme view of Calvinism or re Reformed thinking. This is God is totally sovereign, and, and so it looks like this, that, um, that actually God compelled the brothers to sell them, to sell Joseph, right? That it wasn't their own choice, it wasn't their own idea, it, it really wasn't their own doing. That somehow God put some kind of spirit on them, and they didn't really have a choice in the matter, and they just did it really as puppets who were being controlled by God, who controls all people to his good, good purposes, okay? Um, and some people teach that. Uh, and in, that, in this scenario, uh, the brothers were not guilty of sin because they had no choice in the matter. They were compelled by God to do this. Um, and so Joseph should have said, instead of saying, your brothers, you know, I know you sold me into slavery, uh, but God sent me here. He would have said, you know, I know that you were controlled by God, and you had no say in the matter, and you were just tools in the hand of God to carry out his purpose. Um, the main problem with this view is that if you hold to that view, uh, man is not responsible for his actions, and ultimately God is the source of everything e evil and wicked. Okay? Not about you, but I have problems with that theologically. Okay? That God is, is the cause of everything wicked, that what they did was a wicked thing. And even though God had a good purpose in it, if he controls people, he therefore is participating in something wicked, 
in order to accomplish his plan. I have a problem with that. Uh, and, I, and it doesn't fit with what happened here. Okay? It doesn't fit. Joseph holds them responsible. He says, you did this. You sold me. You sold me. Not God. You sold me as a slave in Egypt. Right? You made choices. You made decisions. Right? So the text doesn't fit that view. So if you believe that view, okay, you're just unbiblical. <laughs> so that's, what, that's what people always tell me if they don't like what I say. You're just being unbiblical, see? <laughs> Um, this problem is reconciling that view. Second view, kind of at the other extreme, uh, goes like this. God, God accomplishes his purpose in spite of us. Okay? So it kind of looks like this. Man is absolutely free, has total free will and choice, and, and man does what he's going to do. So the brothers in this case sold Joseph, and God had no influence in it, had no control, really had maybe no idea about it. Um, and so God, but God is sovereign, and somehow he works around the actions of men and accomplishes his purpose in spite of men's choices and free will. So in this scenario, um, God is really not sovereign so much as he's just smart, okay? He's really not so much in control as that he's just a great problem solver, right? So people throw curveballs at God, and he compensates. So God really had no plan. He knew he needed to save his people, and he just kind of, you know, like the saying goes, you know, if you get thrown lemons, make lemonade. Well, you know, this was the lemon. And God, being just really creative, thought, well, you know, they sold Joseph to slavery in Egypt. I know what I'll do. I'll make him ruler over the, over the land. And this, in the end, this will work out, right? But if they had done something else, God would, would have been, you know, problem solving at another level. The advantages of this view is that it does hold people responsible for their own sin and guilt, and it gets God off the hook as being, um, you know, what's the word, in collusion with evil. All right, so He had nothing to do with the decision. Uh, he He can wash His hands that God is not participating in the evil actions of men. But the problem with this view is that it it makes God no longer sovereign. Right, God doesn't have a plan. God simply is reacting to the whims of men, right? Uh, and a lot of people believe that. In fact, I think that's kind of a growing trend today, that God's just very creative. He's, he's kind of like a supercomputer that's always calculating ahead of us. But he's not sovereign, right? He's not really in control. Uh, he's created a world uh, that's really out of control. And it's really, it's really God of Frankenstein, Okay. Remember the Frankenstein story? Frankenstein's monster. And what did, Frank, what did Dr. Frankenstein do? You know, he decided he was going to create this, this person, right? So he gets this dead body and a brain, and he zaps him with electricity and comes to life, right? And he created life. He, he kind of was like God, right? But he had no control over what he had created. And so it became Frankenstein's monster. It became a monster because he didn't know what to do with it. And it takes off and, you know, goes out and causes all kinds of trouble. And he can't control it, right? He can only react to it. Well, in this view, that's kind of what God is. God becomes like Dr. Frankenstein. And we're the monster, <laughs> right? And there are things about that that fit and work, actually, uh, on our part. But not on God's part, okay? If we worship and serve a God who is powerless, who is no longer in control, who's created a, wor a universe he's no longer in control of, He's not a very powerful God. He's not a very big God. Right? 
And one wonders at what point he's no longer able to problem solve. Right? What happens if Satan out, outdoes him and he's no longer able to work it out? What happens if you do something that throws God off? Right? And he's trying to work it out, but it's never quite ideal or perfect. Uh, this view is what, is what is the source of a lot of people when they wrestle with God's will and they think about God's perfect will and God's secondary will, right? Okay, if you believe God's not in control, then God has a perfect will, what he gets when he, when he gets what he wants. But then there's God's secondary will, God's second choice. It's like, well, that's not really what I wanted, but you didn't cooperate, so I don't know what to do, right? Right. Okay, how many of you want a God who, who at best can work out his second best for your life, or third or fourth or tenth best, right? Because he's not in control. Well, that's what you get if you take away the sovereignty of God. Well, you may say, well, there's no options left. You know, either we have free will or God's like totally controlling everything. Well, I think there is a third choice. And I think it fits well with what Joseph teaches here, or what Scripture teaches here in the story of Joseph. And that is this. That God accomplishes his purpose by means of men's choices. Now, there's a difference between in spite of and by, by means of. Okay? In spite of means he does it, you know, working around us. By means of means he actually uses our decisions and choices, which are ours, our free will and choice, but he uses those things, and through those things he accomplishes his will. Okay, let me explain it this way. In spite of versus by means of. Uh, one year, way, way, way back, when our kids were young, we decided for the first time ever to take a family vacation. I mean, like a real vacation. And it was like the most disastrous trip ever. Everything went wrong that could go wrong, right? And uh, our truck broke down. Denise uh, injured one foot right before we left, so she was in a walking cast. Uh, the first night we got to the beach where we were going to California, she stepped in a hole and sprained her other ankle. <laughs> okay. Uh, the next morning, we were at the ocean enjoying. First time our girls had ever seen the, the ocean and the beach. Um, we're standing uh, out on this outcropping, uh, enjoying the waves. And I took a picture of them, and the waves were kind of splashing up and getting their feet wet. So they said they wanted to take a picture of me, so I gave them my still camera, and I had my video camera. And I'm standing there, and just as they sh- clicked the shutter, this like 15-foot wave is just covering me. And destroying our video camera. Very funny moment, but expensive. Uh, and it just went on and on and on. Uh, capstone of it all, we're at the beach at another beach, and uh, we're swimming in the ocean, and I, being an idiot, am swimming with my glasses on, and I lose my glasses. Because who swims in the ocean with glasses? The dumbest thing ever. Lose my glasses, and of course, it's the ocean, you know? It's not a swimming pool. And so we, we, you know, we looked for my glasses and all the stupid things. Of course, we never found them. And so here's Denise, uh, you know, in both feet. She can hardly walk, much less drive a stick ship, big truck with a tent trailer. Kashara uh, at that point was, I think, 14. Uh, it was tempting to have her drive, uh, but we didn't. So, and, and I can't see. I am blind as a bat. Without my glasses, I can't see anything. So we're at the beach. It's like, okay. How are we going to ever get home? <laughs> and, uh, you know, so I could say, maybe possibly say, you know, we had a good time in spite of all those things, which means all those things were obstacles and were not fun, but we had fun in spite of, we, had, we did other things that were fun, but those things were not fun. 
right? We had fun in spite of those things. But if I were to say, you know, we had fun because of or by means of those things, you would think I'm nuts. <laughs> you think, man, what's wrong with your family? But honestly, you know what we remember are those things, right? Honestly, we had fun, and that's, that vacation was very special because of those things. Because in each of those things, I don't have time to go into it all, but we saw God's hand at work. So just one example with the glasses thing. We're at the beach, wondering how we're going to get home. We're in California. It's a 1,500-mile drive, and what are we going to do? So we decided to pray. It's a thought. Uh, we prayed that we would find my glasses. God did not answer that prayer. But as we are leaving, I don't even know why we were leaving or where we were going because we couldn't drive anywhere. But as we're walking and sh- go to the showers outside, you know, they have this outside shower area to wash off the sand. And uh, we're there showering off. And laying there on, on one of these shower things is a, is a, a pair of glasses. Uh, clearly scratched up. Not, not mine, but a pair of glasses that obviously somebody had fished out of the ocean, you know. I put them on. They're like 90% of my prescription. <laughs> right? So I, I had glasses. And God answered prayer. Right? And we saw, you know, in each of those things, we saw God work. So I can honestly say that, you know, we had an amazing vacation because of those things. If you had taken those things out, it wouldn't have been the same, right? Well, I think the, the reality is God's sovereignty is at a level so far beyond what we can imagine or think or picture that it's hard for us to grasp it. But the truth is God is sovereign by means of our free will and choice. Not because he controls it, not because he manipulates us into doing what he wants us to, but because he's so much bigger, so much more powerful, so much wiser, so far beyond what we can begin to imagine, that he, it's our, our choices, good, bad, horrible, wicked, are no problem for him. They are absolutely woven into the fabric of his purpose and will, right? So when, when Joseph's brothers, of their own free will, made the, the wicked, sinful choice to sell their brother off into slavery in Egypt, it was their own free choice. God did not manipulate that. God did not control them. God did not force that. Right? Uh, it was their choice. It was their free choice. It was a horrible choice. It was motivated by jealous hatred. Uh, it was in every way sinful and wicked. It was destructive. Uh, if you remember, their original plan was to kill their brother, right? Uh, they would gladly have done that. And they, would, they didn't care if by selling him he died. They were getting rid of him. That's all that mattered to them. But was that a problem for the sovereignty of God? Did that cause problems for God's purpose? Absolutely not. God's sovereign enough and big enough that he's going, that's exactly what my purpose is. That's exactly what I will to be done, right? And it doesn't in any way contradict or conflict with man's free will. Because of that, uh, Joseph's brothers were guilty, okay? They were at wrong, there, and there were consequences because of it. Uh, both Joseph and God could hold them accountable, and that was the whole point of this huge test that, that uh, Joseph puts to their, his brothers, have they changed? Do they have a different heart? Well, they did. They did. But 
you know, uh, there were consequences to it. Uh, we, could, we could put it this way. <clears throat> all of our choices, decisions, all of our plans, all of our actions always play into the hand of God, right? You know that expression, you play into the hand of somebody. You're playing a game, and somebody who's much better at the game, who, who's mastered the game, uh, knows how to play so that no matter what you do, it seems that you're always playing into their hand, right? You make your own free choices, you make your own moves, you make your own play, but you find yourself always playing into his hand, and they beat you because they're better, right? I love, I, 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 there's a few games when I can do that, very few. Chess is not one of them, right? Um, well, God's like that. Okay, he, he always knows, and it's never a problem for him. Now you may say, well, how does that, how can that be? And if you start thinking this through, okay, you can give yourself a, a massive, huge headache, right? Uh, and, and this is what we do. And this is what a lot of people who think they're smart, and think they're as smart as God, and think that somehow they can figure God out, will ask these questions. Well, what if, blah, 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 right? Well, suppose, you know, they had killed, the brothers had killed Joseph, right? Then what? You know, then obviously they wouldn't have been doing God's will, you know, so somehow God still had to make them make sure they made the right choice, right? Or what if, suppose, you know, Joseph had given in to Potiphar's wife? Or what if the beggar had remembered Joseph, right? Um, well, here's the deal. Uh, if you want to play those games, uh, you'll just give yourself a headache, okay? And you'll never figure God out, okay? This is beyond God. This is the point. God's sovereignty is beyond our strategy, our logic, all right. and, and the reality is God's plans are never hypothetical. Okay, there's no such thing as what if in God's plan. Right? Okay. The fact is, they didn't kill him. Okay? The fact is, Joseph didn't uh, give in to Potiphar's wife. The fact is, the, the butler or the baker or the butler, the butler did forget him. Right? Right? It is what it is. Okay? God's will is always the reality of exactly what happened, right? And don't play games by trying to calculate, well, what if this or what if that or we should have done this, okay? There's no such thing as hypothetical in God's will. God's plan is his perfect will that is unfolding and the decisions and plans of, uh, of mankind are part of it. Uh, so let me summarize with just some simple ways to apply this. I hope simple. Uh, first of all, uh, God is sovereign over all things. He, he really is sovereign over everything. And he is, first of all, sovereign over his good purpose. Um, and it's important to know that God's sovereignty is deeply connected with his loving heart. Right? God is not random or arbitrary in his exercising control and sovereignty over our life. He's not random. Okay? He's not some kind of crazy guy who's going, oh, this will be fun. Let me see how I can torture them. You know? God's purpose is good and saving. Right? Um, we, all, we all know this verse, and, it, it, and it's, an, it, it's, a, it's a great verse, Romans 8.28. We know, we know that God causes everything to work together for good for those who are loved and called according to his purposes for them. Right? This is a cool thing in this story. You know, uh, God is working out his good purposes in Joseph's life. God is working out his good purpose in Jacob's life. 
according to the promise he'd given Abraham, right? This is a crazy thing, though. God is working out his good purpose in the brother's life, okay? Their own sinful, wicked, hateful action, okay, uh, God uses it for good because they are in God's good purpose. Now, does that mean everything in the world that happens is part of God's purpose? No, of course not. Okay, there are many evil and wicked purposes in the world. Okay? And again, this is where you can drive yourself crazy. If you try to figure out how every bad thing that happens, every evil in the world somehow plays into God's good purpose, you'll drive yourself crazy. Okay? You can try, but you don't waste your time. Okay? There are evil purposes in the world. And the reality is that we do have free choice. And we can find ourselves falling in with God's good purposes or falling in with the evil, wicked purposes of the world. And while none of it affects God's will, God's sovereign, His purposes will be done, okay? The reality is it can cause us problems, all right? When you fall in with the evil, wicked purposes of the world by your own free will and choice, there are consequences, okay? It doesn't change or affect God's plan, but it changes your life, right? Ask Joseph's brothers. Okay, for 22 years they lived with this sin, and they were tormented by it. And uh, jo- jo- Joseph is able to make their life miserable, right, and to, to drag them through all kinds of turmoil because they had chose to walk in evil, wicked purposes. Right? There are consequences to sin, and those consequences will never affect God's purpose and will, but it can make your life miserable. Praise God, though. We, 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 as, as his children, as those who love God, we have been called into his good purpose. Right? So everything you do, all right, God will work out. That's his promise. We know that God can cause, God will work out everything for good to those who love him and have been called into his good purpose. Right? Um, second principle. God is sovereign over the most wicked schemes. And uh, this to me is just, it's mind-boggling. In fact, I I can't explain it. I don't get it. Uh, But it's true. Okay, It's a reality that God is sovereign over the most wicked schemes of the most evil men. Okay, Satan himself, all all the dark demons that follow him, all the evil schemes of the world, God is sovereign over it all. And it's kind of like God says, and this is how God big is. God says to Satan and the dark hordes of evil and every evil thing, he says, throw at me the best thing you got. Throw at me the worst you can come up with. I don't care. You do the worst you can possibly do. Go ahead. Take your best shot. Satan takes his best shot, and what happens? God says, that is exactly what I wanted. You did exactly my will. I love that, right? And I, I, you know, Satan has got to be one really frustrated dude, right? When everything he does, his worst attack on God, and God says, thank you, that is exactly my will. Ooh. Satan's got to be really frustrated. I hate that every time, right? Is that really true, though? Well, let's think about what the worst Satan could possibly do. God sent his son, right? God sent Jesus to execute his good purpose to save and redeem the world. And what did Satan do with that? Satan says, I know what I'll do. I'm going to kill him. I'm going to, I'm going to 
foil and stop every purpose and mission of Jesus. I'm going to bring it to no end. I'm going to see that Jesus dies on the cross, the most shameful, horrible death possible. I'm going to humiliate him. I'm going to make him a laughingstock before the world and the scorn of all men. And he has the help of people like Herod and Pilate and the Sanhedrin and the high priest and Judas who throw their worst at Jesus and they kill him and they put him in the grave. And what does God say to that? That is exactly what I wanted. That is my perfect will. That is why I sent my son into the world, to die as a sacrifice for men's sins. Right? See, there's nothing, no evil plan, that can unravel God's perfect will. Right? Um, and the same thing is true to us today. The world can rage against his church. The world can rage against God's people. The world can can persecute and kill. Uh, the world can try to destroy God's word. The world can try to destroy the church. The world will try to destroy you. All right? And there may be evil that comes against you, and maybe you felt it. Uh, you know, Maybe you have lost your visa and got kicked out of some country. Uh, maybe you have had horrible things happen against you. Right? God is not behind those horrible things. He's not the author of those. Those are things that happen because of the free will of wicked people who have followed wicked purposes. But is God's purpose, God's good and saving purpose in your life, unraveled by any of those things? Never. Never. Right? Nothing can stop God's purpose in your life. Everything that happens, right? God says that. Is exactly my will and purpose, right? Uh, finally, God is sovereign over our own biggest mistakes, right? Uh, and this is this is good news, okay? Uh, you know, can you derail God's will for your life? And I remember as a young high school college student, this whole thing about just agonizing, you know, about God's will. And I remember having many discussions about God's perfect will and God's second best, right? And it's like, you know, what if I married the wrong person that's not God's first? You know, not God's perfect will. I marry the wrong person and I, for the rest of my life, I'm stuck with second best, right? And or if I go to the wrong school and I get the wrong job and, you know, I miss God's will. And, you know, people kind of have this idea that every crossroads of life, there's God's will and there's second best. And if at any crossroad you make the wrong choice, from then on out, your life is at best, second best. And God will kind of work it out for you, but you know, you're going to get to heaven and He's going to say, you know, if only you'd listen to me, I could have actually done something good with your life. But as it is, well, you're here, so be thankful. Okay? You know, and sadly, a lot of—I mean, for me, for a lot of years, I lived Christian life that way. I thought, you know, I—I I was terrified that you know I was going to throw God a curveball He couldn't handle, and He wasn't going to know what to do with it, and I was going to have to settle for second best. Right? It's not true. It's just not true. God is sovereign over all that. He's bigger than all of that. He's smarter than all of that. Right? And. I don't care what you have ever done in your life. Your worst, worst possible decision. Marry the wrong person, had a child before a marriage or by a different person, or you went to the wrong college, you went, got the wrong job or bought the wrong house or, you know, I don't know. 
God knew. And absolutely, it's all part of God's plan. Okay? God is unfolding His good purpose in your life. Right? And all those things, God's got it covered. Right? God's got it covered. And I, I wouldn't begin to explain how that works. Right? I wouldn't begin to try to figure out how my sin somehow fits in God's sovereign plan. But it does. Right? Because God's bigger than all that. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Thank you.